Welcome to the AI for Africa audio experience. For years, this group of CEOs, artists, activists, scientists, technologists, academics, and so much more have come together to bring Africa to the forefront of the discourse on AI. As artificial intelligence becomes an increasingly prominent part of our society, it is integral that voices from the global Africa are heard and valued. This is why AI for Africa exists and why we have brought this podcast to you. Together, we will discover African-driven solutions in and through AI, and we will explore how this emerging technology can pave the way to more ethical futures and self-expression for the global Africa. Welcome. We are because you are. Hello and welcome to AI for Africa's podcast. We are going to be talking today about the future of embodied arts. I'm joined today by three amazing colleagues in the arts, Kudus, Kudus Onyekeku, Tawanda Chabikwa, and Grisha Coleman, all in different parts of the world. And we're here to share ideas and weave and our stories and narratives together. So first of all, to kick off, I'm going to ask each of the contributors to introduce themselves and even raise a question that has been brought about about this idea of how we can reconceptualize, reimagine the body in arts in 2121. So firstly, I'm going to hand over to Grisha Coleman to introduce herself and tell us a little about what is bringing her to this moment. Thank you, S. Ama. Thank you, Q. Thank you, Tawanda. I'm really pleased to be amongst and betwixt of all of us now. Um, so I have, I'll just give a basic introduction of, of the work that I've been doing, I guess, in the past 10 years. So I typically work in uh, the School of Arts, Media, and Engineering in um, at Arizona State University. And I say that because um, it in that this environment um, has informed my art in general and my movement arts, my dance, my choreography, as it were, in particular, um, it, because I've been challenged both by technology and by academia, I'd say, to, to reevaluate what, what I, what I am doing or what we do when we, um, work with our bodies and work with movement. And, um, some of that is really fruitful. Some of that is very, um, maybe you might even call oppressive. And so I'm trying to, I've often been trying to find ways to, let's say, bring up or amplify the embodiment part of things in relation to a technologies or a technology that might be more um, reductive or more um, symbolic more representational because as 
we all know when you're working with technology, you know, the idea of, of the dumb machine or the idea of the, you know, the, the golden chalice for many roboticists, for computer scientists, for engineers, is to be more like a human, create, a, create an AI that's more intuitive. And in truth, in my experience, the, there's still quite a far distance to go because human beings are magic in, a, in, in many ways. And so... Um, I'll wrap it, but it's like the, it's a combination of this, what we call the blackness and this, what we call the movement that are so, um, capacious and are often, I guess what I like to say, slip the trap of the categorization that is part of what the process of building building uh, systems and building artificial intelligence systems often feels like. So, so yeah, I mean, I can be more specific as we go on, but those, those are the things I, I think about and been thinking about. And of course the challenge, uh, the conflict, the tension is um, really can be really generative if you don't let it shut you down. Wonderful. So I'm looking forward to getting inside this Pandora's box with you as we go on today, <laughs> Grisha. Okay. And um, sure. excited to introduce Kudos Onyokeku, who's the guest who is from beyond the group, which we know as AI for Africa. But we have, in fact, interacted with you a fair amount over the past year through the University of Florida. But we know your work to be much more extensive than that. So please do introduce yourselves to this podcast listening audience and share it. Thank you very much, Ama. Um, uh, greetings, Grisha and Tawanda. Um, so what do I do? Uh, my name is Kudus Nikaku. You can call me Q for, for short. Um, I am a performer, I'm a choreographer, dance maker. I'm also a community organizer. I have my company, my dance company, the Q Dance Company, that operates between Lagos and Paris. And uh, currently, I'm also a maker in residence at the Center for Arts, Migration, and Entrepreneurship at the University of Florida. And my current research actually is um, specifically looking at how we can task AI computer vision, machine learning, blockchain technology, NFTs, and all of this kind of cool stuff, how they can be tasked to help protect intellectual property for dancers and motion in general. Mm. And uh, specifically looking at the whole idea of viral videos and how we can start to think of other ways to think of creativity as currency and looking at creativity beyond productivity services or technological abundance, but looking at creativity itself as currency of the future. So yeah, those are the kind of uh, crazy stuff I'm involved in, in the moment. So yeah. Great. Great. 
super excited to see the ripple effect of this work. And our final guest today is Tawanda Chaviqua. Tawanda, please share with the audience today who you are and where you're situated inside of these works of technology. Hello, hello. Uh, yes, I am Tawanda Chaviqua, and currently I'm in El Paso, Texas, at the University of Texas here. And I'm in the Department of Theater and Dance and the African American Studies Program. And uh, basically, my work revolves around uh, embodied research methodologies, so sort of practices research, how art practice and embodied uh, cultural practices themselves are research uh, rather than the object of research. And I'm also interested in uh, black haptics and sensory ethnography, again, things that revolve around the experience, the lived experience of the body, particularly black and Africana bodies, essentially. And, uh, and I'm a member of AI for Africa, and uh, on that front, my interest is sort of in the ethics and philosophy of artificial intelligence, thinking about, you know, speculative uh, possibilities for black life worlds through technological innovation, uh, artificial intelligence, data, science, and things of that sort. And I'm particularly interested in visual cultures, you know, uh, the tyranny of optics, as it mm. were, historically. And uh, also, undoing the myth of scarcity. <laughs> uh, this idea of there is not enough, you know, which is pretty much part of what uh, uh, some people think of as, you know, shock capitalism or this technocracy that we're living in, where there's this... Uh, always lingering fear of technology taking over, taking our job, replacing humans. And, and I kind of giggle at that as if that's possible. Um, um, I know Grisha mentioned the idea of uh, trying to create, you know, AI that is more human-like and so forth. Uh, and that is a, a big goal for people. But when we think practically, we barely understand what consciousness itself is, right? As Grisha said, we are kind of magical in that way. So that's kind of uh, the things that I play with and fiddle with, so to speak, but really centering embodied experience uh, in the conversation for AI. As we mentioned in AI for Africa, the idea that artificial intelligence is pretty much at this point still human intelligence augmented. We're still, uh, we are still the creators of AI. You know, it, yes, it does things beyond that, but we are still, you know, the seed makers for these algorithms and equations uh, and patterns that emerge from current technology and so forth. But again, really excited to have this conversation. And those who know me know that I'm going to get more and more excited as we go along. So please forgive me. <laughs> Great. And at some point, I will find the moment to introduce myself. But I actually do want to get into the meat of the conversation. I have been on the periphery of technology for many years. I have been working with technology as a creative partner in tandem with the ways of connecting with audiences beyond simply the performer audience spectacle. So using technology as an interface in live performance. But really what I want to jump into right away is actually enabling our audience of listeners to connect with us as embodied practitioners that use technology. What are the things that are important for people to understand about any type of maker 
that introduces technology, be it artificial intelligence or some other digital technology into their creative process. Why do you do that? Why do we do that? What is the point? And give us an example, if you can, of ways in which you have done that or have pursued that. Go ahead, Grisha. Yes, please take that. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't have said it. Why? The why? Why would you do it? Yeah. Well, there's sort of that. That's a multi. It's a multi-valent uh, question for me because um, there is a kind of feeling like if you if you're a maker. And it's not, this is not a judgmental thing. It's sort of like, if you're a maker that's responding to the world around oneself, then I don't really see how you can not be integrating tech. I mean, and it can be all sorts of different variations of it, but, you know, um, we humans don't, live outside of our technologies and our tools. And I guess in a kind of way, you could open the gate of what tech, what we mean when we say technology. And uh, I think a lot about that. I, uh, But I mean, you know, AI being sort of like this most, a very advanced or, or maybe not very advanced um, version of 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 what what we want our tools to do for us for us but i think the 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 sh- the short answer is how how could one not because it's either it's kind of with us whether we like it or not and there's a often a feeling of like oh you know let's get back to the earth <laughs> let's get back to the time that there was a time before a time and yeah, okay. I think that I feel some I feel that too. But um what I did as an example when to kind of work with that is create this project that I that I worked on for a long time previous to the project that I'm working on now called Ecosystem that um would have these uh I guess modified environments that were mediated, mediated environments. So a way into looking at a desert environment, a forest environment, um, the, the, the places, the city that we, we were in, that in that case it was Phoenix, um, but through, through, through um, hacking into treadmills. So I wanted to recreate the embodied feeling of walking, but comment upon it because you were walking on a treadmill and there was something so ironic about that. And yet in, in modernity, we do it all the time. And so it was kind of like, yeah, a return back to the land, but that there won't be that. So I'm often interested in, in this integration of, of the technology we see and then the technology that is, um, like, if you will, unconscious or almost like a subconscious thing and, and, and making, and, and the art is like the reveal. It's like, ah, don't you, this is weird. Like the way we live now is strange. 
like let's let's unpack this so that would be my great yes and and for for you q the 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 why of this need to integrate uh technology in your research or in your current work tell us a little about that i mean uh in my work as an artist um one way or the other i've always i've always seek um something as a kind of an extension of the technology of the human body itself so if i start from the point of view that the human body especially as a dancer as a dance maker is in itself a technological tool especially when we look at it from the africanist perspective that it has its own capacity to to extend beyond the here and now and you can make um you can point us to another space to a virtual space a spiritual space a dream space you know for me everything that is not in the physical realm represents a kind of a virtuality that you need a kind of a tool to to attain like mm. you need a zoom we need a riverside to have this conversation right now so the same way i need my body i need music as a way to intersect with ancestral knowledge and and and, and memory so for me i already imagine the body as a technology so each time i want to make it work if when i st- <laughs> when i start talking to my team and they started bringing some ideas of some kind of sci-fi i'm not very quickly aroused by that because i have a feeling that in the western point of view you know uh, futurist futurity is usually extra human that there is always this thing that is flying in the air or this machine that is coming to take people's whatever that's coming to save humanity and that's not the way uh, my ancestors have thought about the future and futurity uh, they've thought about it in more different ways uh, if human beings cannot fly at least the people that if human beings cannot fly by themselves then we failed there's no no machine flying is not going to be what is going to be exciting for me but human beings themselves having the capacity to travel you know without any external material technology outside of the self so for me that's what i'm excited about now um i begin to extend that with my current research which uh, as you might you know you and i have had many conversations about that in the past ama about the capacity to humanize uh technology to bring it back again to the human that the human must be the center of everything i don't i don't want a situation whereby some algorithms are the ones making choices for people uh some codes that have intricate bias within them are the ones i'm going to be looking up to as what's going to save us in the future i want a situation whereby human beings themselves can come as a kind of um un- in a kind of a data union with humans and machines collaborating what i mean by that is you know all these scientific people all this computer science they can code the kind of future we want so we must first decide what kind of future we want in a collective as a collective of humanity then 
the, the role of the computer scientist or the or the or the coding person or the or the tech technologist is to respond to what a a unit of humanity are asking for for themselves. And I don't see it as a general humanity question. For me, I see it as uh, units. I see it in units. For example, my research with Afropolis is looking at African and African diasporic people as a unit. My research with Atunda is looking at dancers, dance makers, and content product, content makers in the digital space as another unit. So it is within those units that we all we have to decide for ourselves what we want. And then we, we ask uh, technology, AI, machine learning, blockchain, whatever. We have that a code, they code that for us as, as a specific request. And uh, for me, I feel like that's what I'm really excited about, having the human or, or the understanding of what we refer to as human, how can we push it further uh, through technological our technological advancement? Great. Um, the the concept of human centeredness, um, we we talk about this a lot, and um, and with that, I'm going to pass the mic over to Tawanda to further elaborate on, on what you're hearing from Kudos. Yeah, I'm getting excited already just hearing Grisha and Q talking. Um, and I think what our wavelengths are already aligned. Two things I was hearing, you know, uh, you know, when Grisha was talking, uh, know that a lot of what I do is very much influenced by various uh, African philosophies, African religious and spiritual systems and conceptual systems. So I, this idea that... Um, we can let go of the fear of technology as being in opposition to humanity, right? As Guru said, it's more an extension of, of our humanity. And in AI for Africa, that's where we began, you know, these conversations with, we have to return to understanding what being a person is. What is personhood? What does it mean to be human? You know, and we have this, uh, you know, notion, uh, brought up by Dr. Jose Cosa of uh, Cosmo Ubuntu as an understanding of what it means to be human, right? So for me, uh, it's very much the why of technology. I approach it from a diunital uh, perspective rather than dualistic perspective, right? Where things are separate. In diunital thinking, we're really trying to find unification from these perceived opposites um, as they work. So how do we understand that, no, technology is not the enemy, nor is it the savior of humanity? It is simply an extension of who we are, you know, um, in various permutations or ways in different uh, uh, African traditions, you know, in Southern Africa and West Africa, um, we can think of being a human uh, doesn't mean our skin bound self, right? Just our body, as we're thinking of embodied arts. Uh, there's this notion that, you know, this guy, Wade Nobles, I believe, mentions which is the extended self where i understand that i am not just my body i am also my community my society i'm also part of nature uh i am part of those who have passed away and most importantly i'm also connected to the unborn you see so when i think of technology is how do i understand myself as extended right beyond my skin bound self and technology has a great way of doing that um and I try to think of this idea of uh, personhood itself, you know, uh, 
is a technology. As Kurus was saying, you know, and as Grisha mentioned, what are these unconscious technologies we already hold? And, you know, my concern is with uh, tech innovation, we're starting to kind of give over or outsource our integral uh, natural technologies to external human-made technologies, which are problematic with their biases and so forth. So I'm fascinated with that. Um, in my own work, part of this exploring of... Um, how do I extend myself or how do I bring myself into unification with technology? How, how does technology help me deepen my knowing of what it means to be human and a person? Examples are just, uh, you know, certain interfaces in choreography where the dancer's movement uh, creates sound or uh, visual accompaniment uh, or soundscapes or installations where the human body itself is creating worlds. Um, through its motion and through its experience. Um, and I'm fascinated, for instance, uh, a very simple concept of if I have the right sort of microphones uh, attached to one's chest when they're dancing uh, or staying still, and the heartbeat itself uh, can be monitored in there. Um, and you cultivate practices where individuals can, through consciousness and breathing and sensation, control and manipulate their heartbeat how does that change you know what the performance becomes but little things like that like i say where the human senses or the physical experience of being in the body can become enhanced or deepened um, or more deeply understood uh, using technology and then of course other instances where we can use uh, data from how bodies are profiled right uh in in our performances, where the audience comes in and they are profiled, just like many humans are profiled in the world. Uh, many people of color and many minorities or so-called disadvantaged peoples. But imagine a performance where you walk in and just based on your physical skin-bound <laughs> appearance, you know, which is uh, the post-Enlightenment Euro-Western conception of what a person is, right? Being judged completely on that non-extended version of yourself and experiencing a performance in that way, right? So that way we start to understand the, co the complexities and some of the problems with data, which so many of us now trust, <laughs> so to speak, right? But when we're confronted with that in a performance, for instance, then we start to rethink, you know, we start to think immediately, I'm more than that. Wait, I am a person. I am a human. I'm not a data set. So these little uh, sort of, you know, intersections uh, or bringing together these little unifications of the human and the technology uh, as a way to deepen our understanding of ourselves as a part of nature because i don't believe technology is unnatural i don't believe humans are separate from nature uh, but i do appreciate that humans being conscious uh, being a very conscious part of, an, of nature have have the capacity to really channel uh, our uses of technology and our relationship to our environment in more positive ways that's all i got we can't hear you i'm a <laughs> Let me see what's happening here. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to just sort of pull back the lens for a moment, thinking about the, the audience that we want to meet with this podcast. We have a, a guiding question or, or idea about how we as embodied practitioners, as, as dance folk, might help human evolution in the year 2121. And I'm going to then close that lens and kind of bring this to the unit that Q is talking about, African and African diasporic folk 
in the year 2121. How is what we are doing now potentially going to assist us develop our communities in 2121? What are we doing or what can we foresee these technologies enabling us to do starting now? And Q, I'm, I'm kind of alluding to your work. To, to bring us into a, illustrate for us what it is that you're doing and how this potentially will impact us in a hundred years from now. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Emma. Um, okay, for me, um, I, I feel like my work as, a, as an artist in the last seven to eight years I've been geared much more towards community organizing uh, as a as a as a core so the when I write my synopsis for reincarnation my latest work for example it was clear that I was deliberate about choosing each of these dancers who are at the forefront of Afrobeats at the moment in Nigeria, and uh, each of them being a community lead. Can, can you hear me? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yes. Yeah, we hear you. Uh, so I, I was saying, I was very, I was very um, deliberate in the fact that I was choosing those dancers based on the fact that they were all different community leaders in different communities in Nigeria, around Nigeria. And they were in their own selves also developing forms that are eventually now becoming viral sensation all over the world, whereby the, 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 those who are really making the most returns from what they are creating from Bariga, from Lagos, from Abuja, from Kaduna, from Jos, it's not them. It's the diaspora. Uh, now talking about the diaspora itself now, <laughs> it's the diaspora who are making the most out of it and all the other communities that they are reaching. But they, in Lagos, Nigeria, they're not really getting the, the real juice from, from their own proper creativity. So I was deliberate about picking them up and then creating this work that is going to go on European tour, a world tour, in a way for them to also see the world and the world to see them. So even though the work I'm creating has nothing to do with that, but that was the initial impulse. I wanted them to be part of that journey. So me, in my own little way and my accesses and my opportunities that I get, so I created this art-looking work that makes it you know, possible for us to premiere in the Biennale de la Danse in Lyon, Kalamata Dance Festival, Saint Pompidou in Paris. But while that was going on, so I was intersecting my own act practice with this idea of a communal practice that is also land-based, that is based on what is happening in Nigeria. So why am I saying all of that? I'm saying all of that to say that I have known that, you know, I think we need to think of Pan-Africanism afresh, we need to think of um, the um, the global black community afresh. We need to think about all the words of Marcus Gave afresh. That none but ourselves can free our mind. <laughs> none but ourselves. None. And this is very clear to me. So when I started Afropolis, um, it was very clear that I wanted to begin a kind of a, a digital space that allows a 
African and black people that are dispersed all over the world to have a space where they can defy the mechanisms of white supremacy that is that that is that is disrupting the possibility of unity that is how can we have a space where we can defy physical presence we can defy visas we can defy passports we can defy all this big big money we used to buy flight ticket to be able to unite and have collaboration and have exchanges how can we create a digital space where we can do this then the project start to evolve into a space where what if we can have a space where we can collectively participate in creating our own archive that is to say anybody from any place can instead of you going to youtube and spending two days or three years trying to find what ama is doing who is doing what where we we is in ghana we is in zambia we is in trinidad and tobago we is in cuba it's going to take you forever because those spaces are not essentially focused on us instagram tiktok youtube facebook all these spaces they are amazing in themselves but we are not the one benefiting from those spaces primarily so i was saying okay we need to create our own platform that was how afropolis came so right now we are designing the app to be uh, the, the platform to be an app that allows people to also organize themselves and do this kind of event that we are doing here now on our own primarily owned platform that's Afropolis. now atunda is also similar to that but now i was focusing more on the dance community itself especially when you look at what is happening to to afrobeats you know you looked at black is king and all the aesthetic that beyonce used in that stuff came from a particular space those people are still suffering still asking for permission to watch to even watch their video because as you may know disney is not even showing in africa so for me it's it's this conversation i'm i'm not putting I'm not thinking of an homogeneous conversation. I'm not even thinking of having a conversation with with white people. I'm thinking of having a conversation amongst black people themselves. There's a lot of conversation to be had that we are not having because we are too much busy focusing on white people. We should focus on ourselves and I think that was the error. That was the biggest error of or the failure of pan-africanism. Pan-africanism was too much focused on what other people think about us. We are not we were not working on what we think about ourselves within ourselves and few years later we saw xenophobia rising on the continent and we are surprised i'm not surprised <laughs> at all i'm not surprised seeing that uh, black americans who have access to capitalist market are using our own tropes and our own um uh, traditional african uh, uh um concept and ideas to to participate in an american capitalist market without giving anything back to the continent beyonce for example even though as much as she represents oshun oshun in her stuff there is a place called oshun in nigeria she hasn't stepped her foot there once there's so much money that people need there to make that place that shrine a better place people are just taking 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 nobody's giving back so i'm in, i'm interested in that conversation i'm really really interested in that conversation i'm a yoruba person when i show up people think i'm some archaic old thing that only exists in in in, in books no yoruba people are actual people and they are still working so for me that conversation amongst us is really really important and i think that's one of the reasons why i do what i do oh wow <laughs> we got to jump
Am I, am I in? You, you uh, can jump right in. Oh, Thank man. You, There's so much to say. Thank you, Q. Um, I want to talk about the archive. I want to talk about the tools. So Tawanda talked about it. Q, you talked about it. So our tech, we everybody has said technology as an extension of ourselves. But also what I feel you're saying is technology as a opportunity to reflect back upon ourselves and then we decide who the unit is that we want to reflect back upon and make sure that that is what's happening so i want to just support what you're saying um by describing a project that i also was think it it was generated in a kind of way from a similar kind of feeling um i work a lot with motion capture technology and all, all I see it all going towards um, commercial outputs, let's say, like Hollywood or, you know, in an academic realm, it's like for to work with people with health. So so that's interesting, but it, it's it's less um, it's it's not an art practice. So I'm, I help with that. So I created a project that's now which has brought me now to Cambridge called the Movement Under Commons technology as resistance and the idea is to take the tech it's a very it's a very practical kind of response to what you're the the, the problems the issues that you're raising here so so this is like that's why i call it a future archive because it's usually using it's like a what do you say a pied piper or a robin hood kind of thing it's like taking the tech to the people who would never have access to it. And so that's what, that's what this project is doing. So I worked with, um, when I was still in Phoenix, I was working with uh, the SRC, which is the refugee community for people who had come to Phoenix, Sudanese uh, farmers, and asking if I could be in co-creation with them so that I would put these sensors on them and say, let's, let's value your technologies, your how you did these carrots, how you did this eggplant, how you did these tomatoes. And this guy, the two people that I worked with, Abdul and Isam, like he was like, yeah, sure. And I was saying, look, this is your movement. And I, this is your movement data. And this is yours. And so how are we going to work together to make something out of this? This idea of a movement portrait out of data and out of, and it, it it's like everyone ha walks around with their phone. Everyone walks around with a GPS in their pocket or many, many, many people have access to this. But the, the, the deeper layer, if you will, the, the embodiment of, of everyone, but I'm in, I'm, in particular interested in, let's say, um, the people who don't have the access, typically, um, to be like, to, to, to make visible the importance of the technology of their own, I don't know how to describe it, of their own practice, of their own physical practice, so that you'd raise that up. So you don't... It, You'd, you'd raise that up as something that matters. Um, and then the idea of the project is to, is to create an archive of movement portraits that are organized, in, not in terms of 
what most motion capture uh, repositories are organized. They're organized in terms of like jump, run, shoot. <laughs> you know, it's it's for game designers. Um, but this is like um, the you know the poetics of it, the the function of it, the labor of it. So we organize movement in terms, and not even. You know, not even specifically dance, but what we're, but I want to do it in terms of, um, you know, I mean, there are patterns that emerge. Sorry. I, it's just like there's a lot to kind of respond to, but um, to, to bring value to, yeah. to, to one's movement, I think, and, and create an archive of it so that it's framed and categorized and imagined in 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 different ways and so i i for short i always say mocap for the people mm -hmm. motion capture for the people mm -hmm. you know and what would that look like because we don't have any of that like even when i go to them they say what what is this and i say this is your data and they say well so what do i care and i say you don't care now but in 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 the future you will care yes. because in the present you know, your facial recognition, we know about this now. There's tons of critical studies around, you know, what the, the camera doesn't see black, black skin, you know, and it's like, and, and it's, it's like this because, you know, you're like, well, do you want to, do you want to be surveilled? Like, so there's so much question yes. about surveillance and AI and, 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 and our people like, for one thing, not benefiting in the way that Q was talking about, in the sort of Beyonce way, let's say, just to be short about it. And then on the other hand, it's like, no, 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 I don't want that big brother looking at me. You know, I don't want that. So <clears throat> I think that as, as Tawanda was saying, it's, it's, it's uh, both. It's, it's, we have to take the leverage into our own hands. We know how the, we, we create the tools we want to build and we, we own the data, you know? Yes. And so that's, that's what I think about when I think about how we could change it in the future with art, yes. you know? And, and I'm just going to take this moment to respond to, to where this conversation is going, because it brings me to the um, space that I think is potentially a threat to our embodied knowledge going forwards and being recognized as ours, which is in the space of deep fake technology, which I have a, a great interest yeah. in because of the nefarious mm. potential of it. And, and how mm. do we respond to that? So mm. um, it was over two years ago now when I understood what this technology was capable of and seeing some of the early renderings and experiments that they were doing at Stanford University with deepfake te technology involved bodily dance practices. And for the most part, they were using African-American vernacular mm -hmm. dances mm -hmm. in which to demonstrate the efficacy of these technologies. Mm -hmm. And basically, if I was to describe for you, if you don't know what deepfake is, it's the idea of taking the data from my bodily movement that's really articulated, really in the pocket of the time and calibrated, and it's got all of this wisdom flowing through it, capturing as much of that, and then imperceptibly lacing that onto somebody else's skin that <laughs> is not mine. <laughs> 
So my <laughs> wisdom, my intelligence is being siphoned off from my body mm. and then applied to someone else that doesn't, that is not me. There's one part of this could, which could be beautiful, which could be, you know, my future great, great, great granddaughter could be dancing me, right? And see herself with my internal wisdom. But then there's another mm. side of this, which is the commercial end, which is being already pursued, which is yeah. that the wisdom that's inside of my body is being given with some, is being shared and mapped and grafted onto a body that has none of that wisdom and is therefore then capitalizing on my creativity and then being able to, again, accrue wealth uh, eminent because of what I created. And I am no longer, not only not earning anything from that, but I am not seen. My body is not, no longer part of the picture. So the notion of what people have called um, appropriation, this is sort of like the most magnanimous version of this that I could imagine, where indeed a whole uh, depth and breadth could simply be eroded, masked, consumed, and never seen again. And that, for me, is very serious. And yet the people that, you know, ignited this, this particular uh, experiment, and, sh and when I've seen the shed, it's simply seen as fun. Oh, isn't that fun? And yet, the, the, the indeed, um, the, the, the ramifications of this are huge when it comes to our bodily wisdom, intelligence, indigenous knowledge being siphoned in, in an extreme way. So it, I, if, if you have to wonder, I, I want you to jump, but I, I just want to say Henrietta Lacks all over again, Kila cells. So that story in short is they s literally siphoned her cervical cells and used it to reap and cloned it. Over and over again, she never saw a dime. And that whole book that Oprah chose, the, 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 what is it? Like she, the infinite life of Henrietta Lacks or whatever it's called. It's, it's what you're describing with her cells. And then they use that as, yes, they reproduced it yes. over and over again. So, I mean, yes, Tuskegee, I mean, there are, there are examples obviously, yeah. of this happening all the time. So this is like the new, the newest version yes. of this. And, but what's interesting about what you're saying is that it's under the guise of fun and, and it's, and it's fun and it's not, um, and it's not even valued. It's like, it doesn't even know what its value is yet. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Sure. Tawanda, did you want to jump in there? Yeah. Well, before I did, I was wondering, like, after what you said, um, it may be a good moment to give us that introduction of who you are that you promised. Where does all this <laughs> context and passion come from? Who are you, Dr. Ray? <laughs> well, um, I am a professor of dance at the University of California, Irvine. I'm the artistic director of Jazz Exchange and the creator of Embodiology, which is a movement system and theory that focuses on improvisation and it understands improvisation from the lens of African performance in the broader sense of Africana performance. And the principles that I have drawn these ideas from really come from an indigenous section of ways of thinking about 
our ways of being in the world, human communications. And as you were talking earlier, kudos about giving back, the purpose of me expanding and sharing this work in the world is actually to point back to the community and the community of Eve artists and and villages through whom I glean this wisdom. And as I share in Bodyology, there are definite, definite, definite benefits that are going back in terms of remuneration to the village and to the peoples there. And, and it is a, an absolute um, passion for me to, as I share this work, to think with the village about what it is that they see as growth. And the first thing that they wanted to do as I sought to give back was to build a computer lab for the children at the, the, the school in Kopea village, which is in Ghana, the Eve speaking uh, uh, area in the Volta region. And what was particular about this community is that they have a very, very active traditional life which is blended with all forms of modern life, but they are rural people. They are, they are people that live on the land, through the land, and struggling through this time, um, and yet have such powerful, powerful insight in what it is to, to live and prosper together as human beings. And the, both the, from a sort of sensory level, this the spiritual side is, is 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 very apparent however it was really not the spiritual wisdom that i was seeking to to glean because in some ways that is a very private and uh and and, and, and unique space that if you are inside of that then you know it it's not something for me to to then seek to even try to translate right so the wisdom i'm talking about is really coming from the musical um, uh, uh, ways in which hearing is understood, what it what it what it means to really deeply listen to another human being, and what it is to actually um, exchange energy and rhythm, and also collaborate. What is it to collaborate without competition? Right. What what does that look like? And what what's the role of the audience? So all of these concepts I was able to um, really fashion into ways that I could then translate for an audience that is outside of of this space but the other part that's really been powerfully present for me since starting to uncover and understand more about Eve musics and dances is the way that the drum speaks that it is tonal that it in itself is a language. And I think about the future of technology being once there is this development of understanding in terms of education, the way in which technology could potentially evolve very differently with people that understand this kind of musical coding. And it, 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 it's this big kind of cone that extends from my head like the unknowing that I know is potentially there in the, 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 the sophistication the complexity in the boldest sense of complexity that is that is within the the, the reach 
of the peoples that carry this knowledge forwards. And so I think of when I think about technology and I think about that which they already have and what the potential is for future modes of coding that are embodied, right? Not coding that comes from ones and zeros in the way that we enter data now, but a whole different kind of coding that we have not yet even imagined. Yet, I believe it already is in existence. So I would just take a pause right there because, you know, my, my, my ideas just kind of spiral up and they just keep going up. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, yeah, I, I'm blown away. You know, Kudus, thank you for that, you know, yeah, that direct, sincere and honest speaking of truth right there and you pointed to so many things that uh yeah that are fundamental to all this uh thinking and speaking and practicing that we're doing around embodied arts and the things that stood out for me you know in, in everybody speaking is how do we undo this idea of africa as a site of extraction right and that's been a practical continuous historical problem and beyond being a site of extraction we are an afterthought like you mentioned in uh the majority of current technologies and platforms and so forth we are an afterthought right if i want to find dance and i'm looking for Af black african african diasporic dance and i type in dance it's not going to be black africana people that pop up first <laughs> right but that is the world or the life world that, that I am intrigued by, interested in, and things of that sort. So that's amazing that that comes up. And then, you know, you brought up, Q, this idea of how do we uh, think about Pan-Africanism, right? Rethink Pan-Africanism. And there are many people who've kind of tried to redefine Pan-Africanism now with a small p to focus on black and Africana cultural productions, embodied productions, and so forth, right? And understanding Pan-Africanism through embodied cultural productions, so to speak. Um, and I love the challenge of, can we actually lean on black and African diasporic radical thought and radical thinkers again and dig into the truth of that to ground, you know, our movement forward with these innovations? You mentioned Marcus Garvey and things of that sort, right? Which is fantastic because clearly, uh, according to a few social theorists, but I believe this fully myself, is that what much of the world is suffering from now is really a crisis of the imagination. And uh, for us who are, you know, from the continent and so forth, when we experience the post-colony and we look at some of the things happening, I, I see it as a crisis of the imagination. And of course, it's no one to blame or to be in fault. I don't believe in finger pointing, but I do believe in understanding the historical processes that led us to where we are. You know, this mental and intellectual incarceration where we can barely think outside of a Western framework, right? Which is uh, what I was thinking of when Grisha was talking about working with the farmers and in agriculture and so forth. When we think of how do we bring value to movement, uh, my question to you, Grisha, is, what then counts as value, right? Are we trying to think of value as bringing it back into a Western, Euro-Western capitalist framework and value it in that way um, or otherwise? And again, we can't think of that in dualistic terms. I'm trying to think in diunital terms. How do we cultivate both those values at the same time, you know? Um, and in terms of the why, again, Africa is a site of extraction. 
I'm bringing it back to the body, embodied arts, right? As Fanon said, the, the evidence of the body cannot be denied, which is one thing history has always tried to do, right? You talk about Henrietta Lacks, we talk about the histories of slavery, we see the photos of people with scarred bodies, chains on them. We now think of epigenetics, these um, things that are ideological that we've inherited, you know, as well. The evidence of the body cannot be denied. And when we look at the state of black bodies globally, uh, regardless of their specific context and their uniqueness, because I don't want to lump Africa into one thing or the African diaspora into one thing. When we look at that, the evidence of the body cannot be denied. How we are kept in conditions of squalor and hunger, <laughs> kept in ideas where there's always the threat of death or living in a constant condition of social death and so forth. And we see these, right? Which is part of my big interest when we think of uh, what then can technology do? Yes, taking ownership of archives, right? Creating our own platforms, creating tools that are relevant to us, absolutely amazing and brilliant. Um, and I was going to ask, though, when we think of how this is happening, and motion capture kind of piqued my interest there, and the community organizing you talked about, there's an idea of uh, biomimicry, right? Where, in general, uh, when we, our best innovations tend to mimic and mirror nature or the material world, right? Now, that's a complex thing, because part of the reasons why Africa is a site of extraction is because post-enlightenment, you know, the West became the mind and Africa was the body, right, which was looked down upon and the flesh and all those negative things. So in motion capture and deep fakes, I'm seeing a negative manifestation of biomimicry, right, extracting from black bodies movement or extracting in science black cells and black material, you know, biophysical things and things of that sort. And at the end product, there's this kind of crazy pathological uh, distillation process where it's, as Ama described, you know, we have the original Ama movement with all its embodied knowledge. When it's deep faked, it's laid onto another body that has no context for the meaning or the deeper value. It is only performing the external aspect of it. And this happens a lot in dance, right? People say, I want to take a hip-hop dance class. What do you go do? You go copy somebody and look in a mirror. <laughs> right? And it's funny sometimes you teach students uh, hip-hop and you're getting into the histories and the philosophies and how it's spread through the world. And they're like, one of the feedbacks I got in a hip-hop class I taught a while ago, great class, it was enjoyable and so forth, but I don't understand why we we're talking about philosophy in a hip-hop class. <laughs> you see? So this disconnect from the source and the final product is a very big thing. So I think this intervention you know, that Q was talking about uh, much more articulately and so forth, and this reframing, right, or rejuvenation of the black imagination, separate from, a, from you know, the Middle Passage, colonial histories and so forth, I think is really important. And I'm going to say something that may be problematic here. I like to think beyond the Middle Passage epistemology. In my experience in most black studies and Africana studies program, people begin with slavery and colonialism. Right? How do we reach beyond, right, to recover uh, knowledge systems and ways of knowing, as Q was saying, right, that are there and they are still there, 
right? I don't believe they are gone. They are, they are there bubbling and thriving under the surface and continually being extracted from and distilled into some uh, uh, weird mutation of things. But I'm curious about how do we uh, dig into that? And I think that was mentioned in the examples that you mentioned, Grisha, like, I've been fascinated by how we move in Africa. When I get off the plane, when I get home to Zimbabwe, every time, I go back every two and a half, three years, because as a scholarship child, right, and cue pointed to expensive tickets, which is real. Uh, but when I go back home, I always feel this relief and my eyes get moist and watery when I see the movement that I recognize, the skin that I recognize, and what it radiates and so forth. And there is value in that. Um, how do we kind of recover that relevance and use it to thrust us into the future, right? Because again, in diunital thinking, my example, which again, reminds me now that it's biomimicry, my metaphor for what I imagine tech should do is grow like a tree, right? Growing both upwards and downwards. Downwards, hydrotropism uh, towards the water. Upwards, phototropism towards the sun and outwards. And we seem to be in a place where we're stuck in a tension that's rushing towards a capitalist, uh, originally Euro-Western version of the future. Uh, that doesn't seem to understand the value of the past and our only relationship to the past is similar to our relationship with Africa, which is the past is a site of extraction rather than part of our eternal present. Uh, so I'm curious about any thoughts around that. Again, the evidence of the body cannot be denied and so much technological innovation is doing exactly that, denying the body, denying haptics, the sensory experience and wisdom in there. But overexcited, and I'll stop before I, too, spiral out of control <laughs> through inspiration. I was wondering what you might think about that to take us further, Hugh, as well, or Grisha. Please jump in, and I'll... So, um, if I can, um, thank you very much, Devanda. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I totally align with so much of what you said. Um, we have always um, imagined time as a cyclical occurrence, not a kind of a linear path, you know, that has a beginning and a kind of a, a destination or an ending. And and if we if we if we if we include um, um, pre-colonial times or pre-transatlantic slavery into the cycle of time that we are talking about. We realize that I think we've been using a wrong tool to look at time. And I usually tell people that my body, just like Amma was saying, my body, um, as a performer especially, my body belongs to me, but it also belongs to time. That is, I am only a point in time. And and I, I'm, I'm always interested in that in that as a as a point of entry to any conversation about about dance arts you know all these big things that we get ourselves involved in uh, or even technology and um that was one of the reasons why i created the piece reincarnation uh to to also displace the point at my own point of entry into thoughts which for me is the point of divergence between Western point of entry and Africanist point of entry is to say, you believe that time is linear and I don't. So I don't believe that when I leave this earth, I'm going to a place called heaven or hell. I actually believe in reincarnation. And if reincarnation is at the base of our thought process of everything, of our aesthetics, of our thought of technology, 
imagine imagine reincarnation being the the real thing then what alma was talking about in terms of in terms of uh, deep fake you see or what you said about hip hop class without philosophy <laughs> you see i'm currently in iceland and people are teaching afrobeats in iceland <laughs> and these people have never been to nigeria before all they are all they had done is look at it on instagram on youtube and they know it and now they're teaching it i don't have a problem with that actually even if i do have a problem with that there's not much i can do about that but there's something technology can do for us and this is where i come back to the question of uh, atunda which is a project i'm i'm working on with the school i'm asking the question can we task ai and computer vision to be able to see analyze recognize and protect the ip of our dances while we ask nfts and blockchain technology as a way to give reward reward that is encoded in from the beginning and we are not i'm not interested in wealth redistribution i'm interested in wealth pre-distribution before you get into anybody's bank account can we already encode that inside of it whereby we are having a system where we can earn even if we don't do anything again but simply because i have created a dance move that has gone viral that is going everywhere in the world i my bank account is just going bigger and bigger and bigger i don't need to do anything else that's what i'm saying that's what i mean by when we get to that point we realize that before anybody can teach afrobeat in iceland there must be royalty that is already embedded in that you put it on instagram i get my alert you put it on facebook i get my alert you put it on on youtube i get my alert for me this is the future that i'm i'm talking about i'm not saying we must stop people from dancing it no actually you must please copy as much as you want still please steal them the more you steal them the better for me that's what i'm asking ai to do for us now can we get to that point where we can encode all of that in nobody and nobody is controlling that or or creating the gifts you know in in return nobody is gifting anybody it's mine and i own it and i make all the money that i need to make from it i love this idea and i also see some challenges with it of course but the idea of wealth pre-distribution is phenomenal i think we also need to think about the fact that our dances are communally created right there may be someone that creates an oh, extra innovation but we know but we know our dances are built and scaled upon one another what i call collaborative competition yes so i i look forward to the model being sophisticated enough to carry all of that too because you know we've got to both build education within our ranks and trust so that atunda and any other iteration of atunda can actually be can proliferate and be utilized and recognized and we also need to bring the attorneys into this conversation and i hope we will do you know this is a really an interdisciplinary effort right bringing our technologists who are really you know attuned and the archiving that you're talking about grisha for us again for our farmers to know that what they do how they till the land is precious information that we want to share within our communities and 
be able to respond to in the future. But because, again, the world is proliferated with, with everything being commercialized, it's, it's no wonder that there is that hesitancy. So I think a huge part of what, you know, this, this future in 100 years from now looks like is, is a space where our unit, let's call it, is wiser in terms of education about the possibilities and that we are steering the ship towards a future that sees this reciprocity and this expansion whilst knowing that we have a richness and that we know that and it's not something that we're waiting to be siphoned off but we actually have put those not just protections in place but elevation because a lot of the time we don't see we don't see the elevation that we actually bring to what that's until after the fact right so we have to know that from the from from the moment we we set sail so i think there's been has been a beautiful conversation that's brought us to this place uh, where we we are seeing that the, the the community indigenous knowledge that our way of bringing um reciprocity is firstly within this unit within our space of african peoples all around the world that's where we need to cast our gaze first and foremost and keep affirming that so i am going to give you each the mic for a final word or wish or premonition and i'm going to start with grisha I, I, because I have two bars left, I'm just going to say thank you so much for the conversation that deeply, sincerely from my heart, because I always learn a lot and today was no different. I feel very honored to be in conversation with you all, truthfully. So that's, that's how I feel. (laughs) And I thank you. Thank you, Grisha. Thank you. And our guest, Kuda. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, the conversation is, is, is ongoing. It's non, non, never-ending one. <laughs> I'm always happy to, to be part of yeah. whatever uh, you guys are doing. I think it's yeah. very, very important. Yeah. And I thank you, Tawanda. Thank you, Ama. And thank you, Grisha, yeah. as well as Anatola for putting this together. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And Tawanda, I'll let you have the closing statements. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> there is never, never enough time for these things. Just when I think we're getting started, correct? But again, uh, just like Risha and Q, honored and grateful uh, for myself in my path, you know, uh, interdisciplinary, multi-potentiality and so forth. It confuses people. Why did you choose dance and so forth? Uh, what you could have chosen your visual art, your creative writing, or even, you know, the sciences, which is how I got into the arts. And for me, my answer was always simple. is because everything converges in the body, right? Uh, again, not only the evidence of the body cannot be denied, but this is my vessel to understand what it means to be human, even though myself is extended. And by centering the body embodied arts, the evidence of the body, the histories and knowledge of the body, I think that's a wonderful beginning place, especially since our recent history, by which I mean 700 years or so, has really done a lot to sideline the body, 
and we've moved more and more into our heads, <laughs> thinking that that is who we are. You know, and that's a big reason why a lot of people are having a tough time even understanding what consciousness is, <laughs> because we're still focused on the brain. So I'm just really grateful to hang out with some people <laughs> who value and appreciate and understand the possibilities that have always lain within us, you know, that connect us to those who have passed and those who are unborn. And I love that you mentioned the cyclical river. <laughs> I've mentioned that many times with my students. I am just a droplet in that river. Many things have come before, many will come after. But I am connected, and I can never let go of that connection. But all I have to understand that connection is the body. So thank you for validating <laughs> the way I understand the world <laughs> in so many ways and reinforcing it. I feel very full and grateful. That's all I got. And thank you all so much for such wealth of communication today. We are so excited to have had this moment to share with you all. You have joined AI for Africa in the audio experience. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the team for building this platform for AI for Africa and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the AI for Africa audio experience. We will release a new podcast each Monday with each episode featuring a different panel of groundbreaking speakers. Each episode will reimagine the future of humans through the lens of AI in a different industry, from health to education to dance and so much more. If you like the discussion you heard today, you will love the Clubhouse discussions that AI for Africa hosts weekly on Clubhouse. Follow AI for Africa on Clubhouse to be notified when we host new live conversations and you too can be a part of reimagining the future of humans. After all, the future is something we create, not something we enter. Thank you. We are because you are.